We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To be honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest is jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is Thursday, March 5th. Uh, on this day 10 years ago, Alex, Andre Bloch was a minus 28 in a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, did some real digging, had some time this morning. On this day in 2011, nine years ago, Brooke Lopez had 34 points, 14 rebounds, and eight blocks in a win over the Toronto Raptors. Uh, that was offsetting 35-12 and 12 from Andrea Bargnani. <laughs> when do you think the last time is that Brooke Lopez grabbed 14 rebounds in an NBA game? Um... I assume it was when he was with Brooklyn. So um, maybe even New Jersey. It was oh, Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say 2015. 2015. December oh, wow. 30th of 2015. So we're coming up on five full years uh, with Brooke Lopez not grabbing 14 rebounds in a game, which oh there are a lot of players who haven't grabbed 14 rebounds in a game, but he did it 
21 times between 2009 and 2015 and that that part of his game you know this is really news to no one who's watched Brook Lopez at all over the last couple of years but uh, in terms of people who have completely revamped their entire game um, I mean he is 100% a different player than he was in in New Jersey and in Brooklyn so many I feel like so many big men are trying to age into Brook Lopez like that's the new thing it's like when you're you know when you're a post-up player and you hit like 30 years old and teams are like well you know like basically Andre Drummond Mm -hmm. um, just spraying threes I I don't think anybody has done it even remotely close to as successfully as Brooke Lopez I can't even think of another great example of someone who spent the first what 10 years of their career being a post-up a 15 16 foot guy and then fully transitioned to a three-point shooter I mean I guess Al Horford is you know doesn't post up that much anymore um no almost never yeah uh Horford, Horford is a pretty good example I mean he took over his first seven years in the league five one one four one six eleven three-pointers in each of those seasons and then it went up to 36 in 2014-15 and then from 36 to 256 <laughs> in his final year with Atlanta uh, so I think he's kind of the closest that's a really good example um, you see a lot of guys you know like Paul Millsap is another one who kind of comes to mind yeah. like guys you know a lot of stretch fours who maybe shot like one and a half threes a game in the late 2010s and now you know that those numbers have just kind of shot up astronomically you know guys who they you you, you would want shooting mid-range jumpers five or ten years ago you know are now told to, to take the much smarter shot which is of course the corner three right like i'm sure if chris weber came into the league now yes. he'd be shooting threes all, all, those guys the, all the time yeah i mean all those guys would. right i mean with the exception of like the shack types who just based on how their body moves like just can't shoot threes you know like that was <laughs> right. never going to work like if shack came into the league now or like dwight howard's the same way you know i mean we, yeah i guess he's tried it briefly right. uh, and even andre drummond probably falls into that category if there are certain guys who are just too big their arms their hands just don't cooperate with shooting a ball from that far out uh, and it would just never work uh but speaking of shack tomorrow is his is his birthday on his 28th birthday in the year 2000 he went for 61 points in 23 rebounds in a win over the clippers somehow that was only the 31st highest game score which is a basketball reference metric 31st highest ever so i want you to guess can you name the top five players in terms of individual game scores there are five different guys jordan jordan is number one in 1990 uh, in a win over Cleveland, that was the 69.18 rebound, six assists, four steal, one block, 23 of 37 shooting, 21 of 23 at the line. So that was a game score of 64.6. My God. Um, Wilt? The game score only goes back to, I believe, um, okay, that was, yeah, that only was a certain kind of point. Yeah, I think like somewhere in the late 70s. Kareem then? Or is no, that, Kareem. Does that not? Yeah, I think he, his weird crossover his peak games would have came before that yeah um does kobe have one he sure does okay. the 81 point game well, that i think just getting 81 alone probably gets you to like 60 for a box score um we have to figure out like the lowest game score you can possibly have while also scoring it goes you know, negative 50 points oh yeah yeah, does, well, yeah like you know I, th- I mean i think you could really wreck it and say like if you if you just hit like 50 free throws but went over 200 <laughs> from the field like i'm sure that would somehow come out negative but kobe was 28 of 46 in that game uh, only 7 of 13 from 3, which is ludicrous, but seemed like a, a huge amount at the time. 18 of 20 at the lines, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals, only 3 turnovers. Uh, but that, that game score fell 1.1 1. 1, uh, points short of Jordan's. Okay. Um, LeBron? LeBron is on the list, but his highest uh, was in 2017 uh, against the Wizards. I believe that was the game where he had like that turnaround 
banked in three to tie it mm-hmm. uh, and send the game to overtime. So he had the 10th highest game score ever in that one. That was a 57-11-7 game. Wow. Um, I want to say Barkley, but I I mean... Barkley is not on the list. That's kind of surprising. I feel like he had had yeah. some... I don't. I haven't games. really looked into the formula for this. I I, I think it, it definitely seems to champion like shooting efficiency more than also like, volume rebounding. Yeah, I know it also weights like offensive... I know it weights offensive rebounding yeah. pretty well. Uh, Harden? Harden. He is the fifth highest uh, game scorer of all time. That was in the 2017-18 season, the 60-11-10 four-steal game against Orlando. Uh, 14 of 16 from two-point range. Only 5 of 14 from three, but 17 of 18 at the line. And I'll, I'll give you the other two. These other two are, are pretty tough. Carl Malone, third highest ever. He had a 61-18 and 18 game in 1990. And then David Thompson, uh, back when teams were playing at an extreme pace had a 73 and 7 game in a in a loss i would have detroit n- piston would have never guessed that one <laughs> 28 of 38 from two-point rate <laughs> anyway let's talk about the modern nba uh a ton to get to uh today we have uh, a pretty decent tnt doubleheader these seem to be getting better as the year goes on and that's not surprising with with how the schedule is kind of backloaded you know trying to avoid uh nfl and college football so we're getting a lot of these really good matchups on on Thursday nights, we're getting some big Friday night games. We have Bucks Lakers this Friday, uh, and then we're starting to get to like my favorite games of the year, like the two thirty Sunday tips, yeah. which are always great matchups, great commentators. You know, really not a lot else going on that day. Um, we've even had some some double headers these last couple of weeks with a night game on Sunday. But tonight we get Clippers and Rockets. I believe the Rockets are one point favorites. Uh, or, or is it the other uh, way around? When I, well, when I looked this morning, I actually saw some sites had Clippers as the favorite. Some sites had yeah, I've seen Houston it plus one, minus favorite. one, both ways. Uh, which I, I still have this like Clippers bias. Like I, I just expect them to win every game, especially when they're healthy. But Houston at home, um, I mean, they're coming off of that loss to the Knicks, which maybe clouds things a, a little bit. But I, I still think that what we've seen from Houston since dealing Clint Capella, like the level of confidence, I think that they have in their own system. Um, and you can, you can read into it what, what you want, but even Harden saying like, you know, I'm going to get that ring. Like you can just tell they feel maybe it's not this year, but I think they feel much better about the direction of the team without Capella, uh, which, which isn't necessarily a knock on him. I think it's just, everybody's bought in. This makes the most sense. Um, and, and they've, you know, they've reeled off a, a ton of, of quality wins. And I think even at home, this would probably be their biggest win of the season if they're able to get it. I think so. Um, it looks like you can't you can't get plus money anywhere on this game. You if you, you it, it's all minus money if you want to bet Clippers or, or Rockets to win. But yeah, um, the main thing with the Rockets, I mean, they've been fantastic since you know basically since they Capella stopped playing for them, but really since the All Star break. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had opportunity to get their game plan straight. Covington has been amazing, um, blocking a ton of shots. I think. I mean, for them, they're. They basically transitioned into punting rebounds. Like if this was if this was a fantasy league, they would be the team that punts rebounds um, and focuses on like low turnovers. Because they, and that's the thing I think the Clippers have to focus on is uh, the Clippers don't really have like they have some good rebounders. Like Zubac is a good rebounder. Harrell's a pretty good rebounder. Um, but I don't really think of them as a, a dominant rebounding team. Um, but one thing they can do is is force turnovers. And so if you can get the Rockets to commit turnovers, that's how you win the game because they pretty much keep the possession game even by, you know, not committing turnovers, even though they give up a bunch of rebounds and then they just launch as many threes and get free throws. So they try to win by points per possession. Um, But yeah, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, basically 
I assume they'll put Covington and PJ Tucker on Kawhi and Paul George. And I kind of want to see how, you know, who guards Harden, what they do about uh, Westbrook. I, I think it's just a, a great matchup. Yeah. I, I, for most of the season, I don't think we were really talking about like Rockets Clippers showdown. It's just been so heavily Lakers Clippers, Lakers Clippers, and then everybody else. Um, and, you know, I, I think for a while, Utah was in that conversation. Denver was in that conversation. Um, but, with the way that those teams have just been Utah, especially just been really shaky yeah. uh, over the last month or so, it, it does kind of seem like Houston has quietly emerged as I certainly wouldn't say the consensus, like third best team, but maybe like third most dangerous team or team that you, that you don't necessarily want to face when both of these guys are, are playing at, you know, I think for Westbrook, the peak, you know, that we've seen from him maybe in his entire career and, and Harden obviously can be the best offensive player in the league on, on any given night. Yeah, since the um, since the All Star break, there are only three teams with a point differential over ten. It's Milwaukee at sixteen, the Clippers at fourteen, and the Rockets at fourteen. So the Milwaukee one is ridiculous. Like they haven't even yeah, played that well. It is it is ridiculous. But Houston's had the best offense in the league over that stretch. This is from Clean the Glass, so this excludes garbage time. One hundred and twenty points, one hundred and twenty one points per one hundred possessions. Uh, their defense is at one hundred and seven, so good on both sides of the ball. Yeah, they can't rebound the ball, but they do everything else basically at a top tier level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the Clippers, the Clippers as well are just really balanced, um, and and so that makes them really hard to defeat. They can put out a ton of different looks. Like their lineup versatility mm-hmm. is really high, um, and I think that gives them like a really that makes them interesting for this matchup because you can run Paul George at shooting guard. You could also run him at power forward if you wanted. Same with you know Kawhi can play two positions. Um, I, I'm just really interested to see what they do with Montrez Harrell and, and Zubach uh, in this situation. I, I feel like they'll probably try to go with more Harrell because uh, he's more athletic, um, can run up and down the court a little bit better. I, I don't I don't know if Doc Rivers will go with like the you know we'll just try to beat them up inside with like Zubach post ups. Which I think this maybe, is a Zubach game. It's it could just be Zubach. You, you run everything through Zubach. We, we I really would love to see it. I, I would prefer to see that. Teams, at least from what I've seen watching the Rockets, have not done that. You know, I, I think it's it's kind of the opposite of the Lakers, where you know they have all these big guys, and we haven't really seen teams go super small uh, against them. And you know, the Rockets kind of force you to play their style, and most teams seem to be kind of content to, to acquiesce to that instead of you know pounding away with, with a big man and to be fair there's only so many big men in the league who are even capable of doing that but I don't know if Zubac falls into that category but the the Rockets for now at least like haven't really run into these issues like you said despite being the worst rebounding team in terms of total rebound percentage since making that switch it, it just hasn't really seemed to matter like teams haven't made them pay for it yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see like how teams try to approach this and maybe we won't really see it until until playoff time. Um but I would be I'd be interested to see what it would look like if you put Zubac out there and basically just had him in the paint on offense and defense and mm-hmm. kind of had him sag off of like PJ Tucker or something. You know, like like let PJ Tucker shoot 11 threes and see what happens. You know, if that's how the Rockets beat you, I don't think you can be too upset about that. Um, you know, you, you got to give something up. Um, but I mean, Zubac is, I mean, Zubac is one of the best rebounders in the league. So I think it would be wrong not to at least give it a shot. I mean, he plays about 20 minutes a game anyway. So I figure they're not really going to, I don't think it's going to be too dramatic in either direction. Um, but I think, um, yeah, if I, I don't know, I just, like you mentioned, um, I think you, sh- you have to at least try to punish the Rockets 
If it doesn't work, abandon it. Try something else. So we have Lakers Clippers on Sunday. Uh, like we said, Bucks Lakers on Friday. Probably the toughest stretch of the season for for the Lakers, and that's kind of how their year or their schedule, I should say, has gone. It's kind of sprees of of easy games, and then they've kind of packed a lot of these these tough ones all together. And there's been kind of three separate stints of that in their overall schedule. I mean, I think if you're the Lakers, you're thrilled to go one and one over the span. Uh, I mean, they lost to Milwaukee in Milwaukee, I think back in back in December, and they're zero and two against the Clippers. One of those games was opening night. Uh, they had another one postponed. Which uh, oh yeah, uh, do we have a rescheduled date on that? I think maybe sometime yeah, in they April? end up playing a back to back to back. I think some point late in the season. Okay. Well, that was the the post Kobe game. Um, opening night, I'm I'm pretty much willing to throw out because year after year we see. You know, whatever the marquee team is, is always in that game. And like, I remember the the Warriors' first game with Kevin Durant. Didn't they get smacked by like thirty by the Spurs? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I know. I know a couple times with LeBron's Heat, they they would always get beat on opening night. Like, I'm I'm just willing to throw that game out. You know, there's a lot of chemistry issues. And to be fair, you know, for both teams, integrating new players and and the Clippers didn't even have Paul George in that game. But I essentially think the Lakers are 0-1 against the Clippers. But they've they've been thoroughly beaten in both games. And the scores were fairly close, but but watching those games, I think especially on offense, it was a slog the entire game for the Lakers. You know, they would have they would have runs. You know, I think primarily led by Danny Green in the first game, where they would they'd be able to claw back, but you never really felt good about how the offense looked against that Clippers defense. And if there's one player throughout the history of LeBron's career that he just openly does not want to attack or want to deal with, it's Kawhi. I, I right. can't remember anyone else that he just hasn't gone at. And it's just played passively almost in every game they've ever played. And I'm interested to see, because this is a different LeBron right now than we saw at the beginning of the season and, and even in their last meeting with the aggression and the, the level to which they're running things through him. You know, I think he made an effort through the maybe the first 30 or 40 games of the year to kind of make this Anthony Davis's team or at least make it a 50-50 split. And I mean, the other night against Philly, it was an Anthony Davis game. But prior to that, it had been... A pretty steady run of everything going through LeBron and winning through LeBron, and I'm interested to see now if he's if he's able or willing to back off of that, you know, against these these two significantly better opponents in Milwaukee and the Clippers. Yeah, I mean the um, yeah the Lakers have not looked good um, against the the Clippers so far. Um, they ha- the only one of the four factors that they've won in either of the two matchups where they won the turnover battle. Which is like not. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one that you you that well, I want to say it doesn't matter, too, yeah. but yeah, right. Uh, well, that's that's a they're they're very much a heavy favorite for best uniform in that competition. But they did not manage to cross a 107 offensive rating in either game, which is atrocious. That's like Cavaliers, Magic, Hawks level <laughs> bad. Um, I just want to like I I kind of want to see because. At this point, like when I think of LeBron and when I watch their games, the the two main things I notice from him, like he always is going to have those moments in transition, or he's going to get, you know, he he happens to get the uh, turn the corner quickly and get to the rim, but it's a lot of post ups this year, and it's a lot of like thirty foot three pointers, and I think that's just kind of how he anticipates having to beat Kawhi Leonard because he's not going to get past Kawhi on the mm-hmm. dribble. He's not going to he's not going to cross Kawhi up and drive to the basket or anything like that. I don't think that's going to work anymore. I don't think he's um I'm not sure he's quick enough to do that at this point or he hasn't shown it in the regular season. So I'm interested to see how you know if LeBron can punish Kawhi in the post. And cuz I don't I'm interested to see if he even tries. You know, he's willing to do it against Drew Holiday yeah. and Josh Hart and you know when he gets a guard on him and they'll they'll try to work those switches, but even like Patrick Beverly 
I, I don't think it's going to, to give up the, the kind of leverage in, in the post that those Pelicans guards have. No. And we've seen LeBron try that like fade away in the post. And, you know, I, I mean, I think if you're, if LeBron's shooting 30 footers on you and doing post up fadeaways, you're probably just going to win the game. Yeah. Like he's, LeBron is good enough to where if you got in a seven game series and he did that the entire game, that Lakers would probably still win two or three games. We've like, seen that against, against Toronto a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but it has to be it does have to be more of a team effort for the lakers lebron's not gonna be able to the clippers beat the clippers are built to stop lebron so the other guys like anthony davis um you know dwight javel are guys who are actually going to have to be crucial because that's the one area the clippers aren't great in is their you know their center Mm -hmm. defense and they didn't really do a ton to improve that i mean they they kind of bulked up an area and in, in guard that was already somewhat of a strength you know i guess you could argue they needed a, a more traditional point guard but i don't i don't even know if reggie jackson fits that bill they got the more productive of the morris brothers right. but to me that's that's ultimately a wash um yeah i think la not at not ultimately adding another ball handler is going to be an issue and i, I do not think Deion waiters or jr smith are the answer i think they were I think they were kind of blindsided by Darren Collison, you know, not only not <laughs> signing with them, but not returning at all. Right. You know, I think it seems like that was pretty much the plan. Um, but, you know, they have that open roster spot. Troy Daniels wasn't giving them anything. I mean, for a guy who I believe is a career 40 plus percent three point shooter, he was, he was under 35 percent. He was just really not giving them any value at right. all. A terrible defender. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what they do with that spot. March Madness is that time of year when your prediction skills are put to the test in your office, friends, or family pool. But with nine quintillion, nine quintillion possible variations, it can be hard even for machines to get the perfect bracket right. Smart Bracket is an app that's been consistently rated by Forbes as the best way to pick your NCAA tournament bracket using the latest decision technology. Can they not say tournament? March Madness is that time of year when your prediction skills are put to the test in your office, friends, or family pool. But with nine quintillion, nine quintillion possible variations, it can be hard even for machines to get the perfect bracket right. Smart Bracket is an app that's been consistently rated by Forbes as the best way to pick your NCAA bracket. Using the latest decision intelligence technology, you answer a few questions on who you think will win and what preferences you may have. Could be team colors, mascots, maybe you just pick Wisconsin no matter what. If so, hey, wouldn't recommend it. That's your call. Enter those preferences and a fully personalized bracket is made specifically for you. Don't waste your time this NCAA season. Dominate your March Madness bracket by going to smartbracket.io. That's smartbracket, S-M-A-R-T-B-R-A-C-K-E-T.io and download the app today. Lower down in the West, I feel like everybody's just handing the eight seed to the Pelicans over the last couple of weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. Like as soon as Zion came back and started playing well, it was can't wait for Lakers Pelicans round one. And the Pelicans have really not gained any ground no. at all. I mean, they lost an OT last night in Dallas. They lost to the Lakers twice in their last four games. They're five games back of Memphis with twenty games left. So there still is plenty of time. Memphis has the the toughest schedule in the league, but you know Memphis has, has reeled off some big wins of late. They absolutely killed uh, a Brooklyn team that had been playing fairly well. The other night, Pels are three and four since the break. You know the, the numbers are good. They, you know, they're they're playing much better offensively. I believe they're a top five offense 
in that span. Uh, like I said, they you know well Memphis has a hard schedule. They have an easy schedule. Vegas still likes the Pelicans of those two teams. If if you wanted to bet which of them gets the eight, but I, I just feel like New Orleans hasn't quite earned uh, all this respect that they're getting um, as just a team that's eventually just going to breeze past Memphis because they haven't gained any ground. Yeah, Memphis got that win. Um, that was the nuts on the second night of a back-to-back after that like overtime Karis yeah. Levert game. Um, but that yeah, it was never close though. No, they're um, they've managed to stick around despite losing like Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark for an extended period, which is surprising. Valanciunas has really stepped up. Gorgie Jang is very competent for them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'm someone who has always like loved the Pelicans roster. Thought is really good. I like all these guys. But um, for them, like the the main thing that I've, I've I think I've watched all but two maybe Pelicans games since Zion mm-hmm. made his debut. Their floor spacing is still pretty suspect at times. Like Ball has been a pretty good three point shooter. That's helped a lot. Yeah, I think he had seven makes last night. Yeah, but Holiday not really a confident three point shooter. Zion and Derek Favors being on the court at the same time. It's I just it's hard to watch sometimes. Did you watch the end of that game last night? Yeah, that the double air ball. Uh, Lonzo just pulling up for a horrific three with like 20 seconds left and then the, the possession ultimately ending in a Derek Favors airballed corner three I mean I think uh I mean I actually I was I stood up off my couch when Derek Favors took that could three. not believe it and um, he had no choice really I mean the shot clock yeah. was going down it didn't it I think it reset and shouldn't have reset like it, it never should have ended like that but why is Derek Favors even spotting up in the corner in the first place because the spacing is so bad right. I mean yeah I mean Ingram follows out so they feel like they have to put Zion back in that game yeah and I wasn't convinced they were going to put Zion back until Ingram fouled out, and then you end up with a weird spacing issue, and Favors does the right thing. He he tries to open up the lane. Obviously, he ends up with the ball, which it's isn't ideal. So far off. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, their fit is just a little awkward right now. They really, I think, need to replace that Favors. I just feel like it's better when Melly's out there. Yeah, I mean, um, you just give up so much defensively. No, I agree. And you give up Zion, so much offensively with favors. I mean, it's tough. Because I don't think Zion's a good defender right now. No. Like I, it's he doesn't play help defense, and he is not. His lateral quickness is not good. He is no. not really stopping people from going by him either. And so um, that's been a like shock to me. I thought he'd at least be like a neutral defender. It's like very, in my opinion, it's not yeah. good. Like it's bad. Well, even statistically, like he's giving like looking at it fantasy wise like he's not been a good fantasy player despite he, shooting 60 percent and averaging like 25 and 8 he's doing almost nothing in terms of steals or blocks which is a huge surprise I and mean, i think we we've had to adjust our projections a couple of times because yeah. he was such a monster in both of those areas in college and like that almost always translates to some degree I mean, you don't usually go from averaging like a combined five steals and blocks to like 0.5 when you get to the nba but i think that's something that'll eventually come I and mean, we've seen it before but it doesn't seem like it's going to come this year Right. on. I'm looking at his defense and rebounding numbers on cleaning the glass right now. For players classified as bigs, he's in the ninth percentile in block percentage at 0.6%, and he's also in the sixth percentile in defensive rebounds off field goals. Yeah. So he's not a good defensive rebounder right now. He's not a good shot blocker. He's he's doing a good job of not following, but yeah. I don't... Also, how maybe, close maybe is not he contesting to? to yeah, yeah, right, exactly. It's like how the Cavaliers don't follow anybody, but they're not close yeah. enough to follow anybody. Yeah. Um, I know NBA.com eventually is going to release this stat. I think it's called pressure rate or pressure percentage, where it's going to try to measure... Not, maybe not be the, the be-all, end-all of, of defense, but just like how much are you pressuring when you're guarding the ball. Right. Um, whether And I think it'll probably skew towards perimeter guys, of course. You know, if you're picking somebody up at half court, you have more time to pressure them. But it's going to try to measure like literally the amount of pressure that you're putting 
on opposing defenders. And I think that'll be really useful in situations like this where like Zion looks like he's in place a lot of the time, but he's just a half step late on blocks, a half step late on the weak side. Like he'll have a highlight block every other game, but I, I really wouldn't have been surprised if he came in and was like two blocks, two seals a game right away. And it's just been the complete opposite. Yeah. I also don't think he played very well last night. Uh, on the second night of a back-to-back, which it was his first time. The Mavericks are a good team. Maxi Kleba is definitely a better defender than people give him credit for, or at least like the general public. But he just kept falling down. It looked like he was like he was having a really hard time out there on post-ups until he, late in the late in the game. He started to do better, where he was more patient with yeah. it because he the first, he just loves to get the ball and just drive his shoulder and go up. Yep. And once he realized Kleba was going to block all of his shots, he fourth quarter he kind of yeah was more patient. I got home from losing a rec volleyball playoff game last night, and it was mid single elimination. Quarter. Single or? elimination. It was messed oh, up. Jeez. Um, it was mid third quarter of that game, and Kleber and Porzingis had nine blocks combined mm-hmm. at that point. So tough finishing um, uh, for for Zion and really for for everyone. But he he does just continue to be at twenty and seven every single night, oh, which, yeah. which means something. I mean, we're not we're not trying to trash the guy, but it's no. I, I said on on the DK show yesterday that like he hasn't quite shown off like the ceiling that we thought he'd have like his floor is even higher i think than anyone expected like he's just been extremely consistent which you almost never see from rookies even the best rookies but the ceiling even though he's now playing 33 minutes basically every night he hasn't he's yet to have like one game where you're just like oh my god this is everything we thought it's just kind of been consistently very good for 15 games now did you see him take the face up jump shot no i don't think i missed that yeah he was he, he was at like i don't know 13 14 feet kleba was there he was thinking about posting him up. Kleber was giving him a little space. He just yeah. he just pivoted, turned, and I don't even think he left the ground. He just fired one up. You know the left, the right elbow, yeah. way off to the side. It was not it was not great. Yeah. So he, I mean, four for four from three in that first game, and he is since one for like eight, I believe. Yeah, he I was mean, one he's... for one against against Golden State <laughs> um, on February twenty third, and. He hasn't even attempted a three in any of his last five games. So that's that's another one of those things like defense that I think just can't expect it to come this year. You know, something that you have to work on over the summer. Um, what's not being talked about much is Portland and Sacramento are actually closer to Memphis for the eight seed. They're three and a half games back. Portland uh, won last night. They beat Detroit and they got Damian Lillard or beat Washington. Excuse me. Easy win. One by 21. Tough back to back for Washington having to go, I think, from Phoenix up to Portland. Um or from Sacramento up to Portland. But now with Damian Lillard back, uh, with Hassan Whiteside playing the best he's played all season, which is saying a lot because he's been pretty good. Uh, CJ McCollum has nine straight games of 20 points. Uh, I think Portland is, is certainly right in the mix. And then there's Sacramento, who's 6-1 and one since the All-Star break. So to me, it's very much a three-horse race. Like I'm not willing to say the Pelicans are, are drastically worse than Portland or Sacramento by any means. I think talent-wise, they're probably better. Um, but I, I think these three teams have, to me, kind of an equally good shot. Although I'm still... Like just based on the last fifteen years, I have a hard time really putting full faith in Sacramento. Yeah, the um the Blazers getting Lillard back is a hundred percent the key to them potentially make the playoffs. They're they're minus eight when he's off the court. They're a horrible team when he doesn't play. CJ McCollum just can't do enough with Whiteside. They're you know, they're like Arizo's been good for them, but he can't be like the third option. Um and yeah, I mean, it's weird that Sacramento is now making the push after like they, they don't have Bagley. They got rid of Deadman. Now they're doing playing like, like twenty two minutes a night. Yeah, Heald Heald is not really playing that much. They're 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 basically splitting time between Harry Giles and Alex Len at center yeah, right Corey now. Joseph is playing a bunch. It really doesn't make sense. It <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I did not get an opportunity to like try to like 
dive super hard into any numbers, but they're they're making it happen. Um, I, they've been really good defensively, um, and I, I don't really know what to make of it because mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't really think of them as like a super strong defensive team. Like Fox is good individually. Harrison Barnes is definitely above average defender, but um, yeah, I, it was it would surprise me if they made it. Uh, but at the same time, like the you know the Kings and the Trailblazers have relatively easy schedules. Not as easy as the Pelicans, but um, definitely on the on the easier side. Meanwhile, in the East, the the Orlando Magic are basically beating every team that they should beat and losing to every good team that they ever face. They're three and four since the break. The defense is just horrific. Um, I mean, Nick Vucevic has kind of been bailing them out from the last couple of months. But if it weren't for the Wizards just being the Wizards, the the Magic would probably be out of the playoffs right now. Like Washington is somehow only four and a half back with 21 games remaining. I mean, they're closer to passing Orlando than New Orleans is to passing Memphis. So something to keep in mind, uh, although as, you, as you've as you noted, Washington does now have the hardest remaining schedule. Um, a, a lot of top-tier teams at both conferences remaining. But you look at some of their recent losses, and like this could honestly be, uh, like they, they could pretty much be tied for the eight seed if it weren't for uh, looking at, I think, of their last eight losses. Here, here are a few of them. They lose by seven to Sacramento on Tuesday night, a game that they led uh, late and just kind of let slip away like they've done so often this season. They lose that crazy overtime game last week to Milwaukee, um, one yeah. where Giannis followed out and they had a very good chance to win it, ended up losing by three. They got, they got beat badly by a super banged up Bulls team that previous night. They lost to the Cavs on, on February 21st. Just before the break, they lost to, to Memphis. They got beat by 19 on January 26 by Atlanta. Like it's, they're losing to good teams as well, but so many of these losses you would think could have gone either way. I mean, they're losing to teams that are significantly worse than them in the Eastern Conference. I mean, this could easily be like a one or two game gap. Yeah, one thing I I looked up and was really surprised by, obviously, was the uh, <laughs> the Wizards have the Wizards are just like extremely good like their half court i mean their hot their half court offense is incredible which is weird to say like bradley beal bertans hitting a ton of threes um i i just don't know how they're doing it like they're they're losing all their games defensively that's really what's happening um and yeah they shouldn't uh there's no way they should even be this close to the playoffs but the magic yeah not taking care of business um They'll be fine. I, I can't imagine Washington with the hardest schedule in the league actually closing that gap. But, I mean, Orlando should be ashamed of itself. That is for sure. Last 20 games for Brad Beal, by the way, 36.6 points per game on 48% shooting. Not an all-star. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this NBA season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They've eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. Choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or the under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points. You can win a share of the daily prize pool. Thrive has over $2,000 guaranteed each day in prizes for its NBA contests alone. Use promo code RW, that's the letter R and the letter W, when you sign up today and you'll receive an instant match of up to $25 on your first deposit. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or the Google Play Store or by visiting thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. I wanted to look back at articles that I wrote, um, one of which was published on January or January, July 24th. 
Uh, the other was published on October 8th, so just before the start of the season. I named some some breakout candidates okay. and some bust candidates. Sure. So I want to kind of do like a roast maybe okay. um, of some of these guys or just kind of a review, a review slash roast uh, as to how these picks turned out. I, I think we have you know enough of a sample now to kind of definitively say if these guys were, were breakouts or busts. And you know, we can analyze it. You know, these were written from a fantasy context, but these pretty much go hand in hand for the most part. Um, but let's look at the the breakout guys first. So the the, the first name on my list, Miles Bridges. Wouldn't say he broke out. Not a breakout. No. But he's, I mean, I, he's played well at points. I mean, he hasn't been, you know, I mean, if you drafted him like 80th or wherever he was going, I can't quite remember. I mean, you're going to be a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, it It is pretty surprising to me. Although, you know, he was someone that obviously – given the lack of talent on that team it's just one of those well someone has to take shots kind of a situation mm-hmm. and i think had Devonte graham not show up on the scene and launch right. 20 shots a game then you know at least a few of those would go to bridges and and he would be playing better um the Devonte graham thing really just threw a wrench in like a, anything related to hornets whether it be mm-hmm. expected win total fantasy value stuff like that yeah um i mean right now bridges ranks like 138th in in eight category leagues per game yeah. value uh that would go higher you know if you're looking at total value just because he hasn't missed many games but uh yeah i would say that's a that's a miss not a breakout uh, when you're averaging still 13 points on 43 percent shooting <laughs> which is lower than last season uh terry rosier was on my list okay um i i think my, my expectations were were pretty low for rosier uh, but I, I wrote that he has a potential to be a 17 six and six player who who adds one and a half steals and um and and two threes per game so he's at 2.6 three-pointers made per game and he's at 17 and a half four and a half four so a little light on the counting stats but i mean it's it's kind of it doesn't feel like he really broke out you know just because charlotte hasn't been that good but i mean his percentages are are significantly better i think than i expected which is saying a lot when he's shooting 41.6 percent from from three but i mean this is a guy who career was basically like 36 percent yeah rosier right now is 74th in eight category leagues uh which is pretty solid i mean it's it's not it's not necessarily a breakout but i think you were pretty close to what you know we should have uh expected from rosier mm-hmm. and again i think that the Devonte graham factor yeah. needs to be accounted for here um because if you know if Devonte graham played 15 or 20 minutes a game like we all kind of thought he would and rosier had the ball in his hands more i think mm-hmm. 18 six and six was a lot more um was basically on the table and extremely realistic. Jaron Jackson was on my list. I would not say this is a breakout. You know, the injuries have kind of been the story. Um, scoring is up about about three points per game. Blocks pretty much the same. Steals down a little bit. Shooting efficiency, um, especially from two-point range, is down. Uh, did become a much better or at least a, a higher volume three-point shooter. You know, Went from 36% to about 40% and uh, almost tripled the volume so he's he, you know before the injury he was taking almost six and a half threes per game so providing a decent amount of value there but also got to the line quite a bit less shot worse at the line um i'm, I'm gonna rule this one and say no breakout he no not a breakout but like re- actual improvement like he definitely improved mm-hmm. last year eight category leagues per game ranked 84th this year 64th yeah so just study improvement from a second year guy still rebounding remains really weird um but is providing great value in terms of a shot blocker three-point shooter like projecting him 
stats wise to be very similar to someone like a Miles Turner. Um, I think is probably the right way to, to view yeah. it from here on out. And Turner's ranked 73rd, and it's it's pretty similar in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Wendell Carter, Dwight Powell are on the list. They've they've both been injured enough that that I don't think I really want to touch on them. I mean no. Powell specifically, Malcolm Brogdon, who I, I wrote kind of truly broke out last year. You know, with the 50-40-90 season. Um, I, I think this one definitely seemed spot on early on, and you know he's basically been consistently banged up with one injury or another kind of since like mid-December and I think that's that's really hurt him he had a uh, another injury against Milwaukee only played 11 minutes in that game um but early on I mean I I felt really really good about this prediction his first 15 games he was 19 points almost eight assists five rebounds one steal 48 percent from the field 98 percent at that point from the line um but the the three-point shooting has never really come around for him I mean 43 percent last year and he's at 31 percent now this season yeah, um, he's been a little banged up, playing in 48 games this year. He's actually, so last year he ranked 75th in eight mm. category leagues. Right now he's at 72nd. So he's basically yeah. like, fantasy-wise, it's a very similar year, which is strange considering like the amount of volume that he's getting now. But I mean, I guess the worry was always there that he wasn't really that type of player. Mm-hmm. But like you mentioned, like early on in the year, it was fine. Um, he's still really good and... But you can't classify this as a breakout at no. this point unless, you know, the last 20 games of the year, he really finds his way back up to yep. um, to basically he has to be like a top 30 player from here on out to really yeah, salvage the season. The so, <clears throat> excuse me. Mitchell Robinson was on my list. I think he was on everyone's list. Well, so we, yeah. we know how that's gone. Uh, Kelly Oubre. <laughs> Oubre for sure. Yeah. He's 56th right now in the rankings that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think to be like a true breakout, you probably want him to be a little bit higher, but I think the season, you know, before the knee injury has gone about as well as it could have for him. I mean, it, he's basically picked up where he left off, where he was awesome, you know, for the final 20 games or so at the end of last year. And you're kind of wondering, like, is this it's just who he is now? He was pretty underwhelming for most of his career in Washington, but uh, it does kind of seem like he's he's kind of become a new player in Phoenix. And I, I would expect that, assuming everything's good with the knee once he's healthy, this is kind of who he is going forward. Yeah, he jumped about 40 spots compared to last year mm-hmm. um, and is someone who really like many times operated as a second option um, on some nights for for Phoenix, you know, when, I mean, Rubio missed a lot of time and was bad for a huge stretch of games as he was coming back from injury. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton missed a huge chunk of the season with a suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oubre was, you know, kind of helped keep them together a little bit just through his scoring. Um, his three-point shooting has been pretty solid. Uh, good on defense. So, yeah, I think, I think jumping four rounds of value in one year is probably mm-hmm. considered a breakout. Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I was surprised to look at these rankings uh, and see how high he actually is now. Um, and the three-point shooting of late has certainly helped. He's now 48th. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think this is probably about as, as well as it could have gone from him, uh, fantasy-wise. I and you can even tell in the write-up. Like I don't fully believe what I'm what I'm <laughs> writing uh, because I really didn't at the time. I was still extremely skeptical. But uh, I mean, part of it is he's playing a ton of minutes. You know, he's he's over 32 per game. He really has stayed pretty healthy. Played 54 games. The scoring hasn't improved maybe to the degree that you would hope, especially with Zion missing so much time, uh, only at 12.2 for the season, but 6.2 rebounds, seven assists, uh, almost one and a half steals, half a block for a guy his size is great. And then the big thing has been, you know, 2.4 made threes on almost 38% now for the year. Very, very quietly shooting extremely well from three. Yeah, it was, it was easy to, you know, you could cite like Lonzo's rookie year as a, as a good way to be like, okay, 
I think this guy can be a top 60 player because he was in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he only played 52 games, but he was ranked 59th um, in eight category leagues just because of his, you know, he could stuff the stat sheet essentially. Um, and the fact that he's basically reinventing a shot has allowed him to, to creep into that 48 spot because I saw, I mean, I saw a picture of it today. Someone posted last yeah. year's shot to this year's shot. It's the piece holding the ball and literally the, uh, the a different side of his head, yeah. the correct side of his head. Um, and that's, that's really just made all the difference in the world. Cause we already knew he was a talented passer, yeah. rebounder, defender, all that. Um, and giving even a passable shot, which it is at this point is basically turned him into a great player. He's, he's over 42% from three over his last 20 games. So, I mean, that, that number, I'm good, val- uh, good volume too. Yeah. On, on 6.6 attempts in that span, DeMontis Sabonis was on the list. Um, yeah, I would, I would say he's broken out at least to kind of hit another level, making, making the all-star game. That wasn't exactly like a, you know, a Hail Mary pick by any means. I think a lot of people, uh, based on what he showed last year, you know, expected a, another leap. But, you know, for him to be at 18 and 12, um, you know, averaging 10 more minutes per game certainly helps. The efficiency has gone down quite a bit, uh, and he certainly has not uh, improved from three at all. I mean, if anything, like, it, I guess it's good that he's taking one a game now after being so hesitant to shoot those last year. But 24% uh, just, just doesn't really look like that's going to be a part of his game anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I think for him, um, you know, the minutes being there was actually probably the main concern just because, you know, last year he only saw 25 minutes a game because they weren't, it didn't seem like they were sure what to do with with Turner. Um, And this year, I mean, they've been completely fine playing Turner and Sabonis together. I mean, as much as you have to, because Turner is seeing, you know, 29 minutes a game. Sabonis is at like 34 or something like that. So those guys have to be on the court together. And I think that was the main worry and really what made people hesitant. If you were to able... You know, that's kind of like a Hassan Whiteside situation. If you were to, if you were guaranteeing people, Sabonis is going to see thirty-five minutes. Whiteside's going to see thirty-five minutes. They would get drafted way higher. Yeah. Um, but you know that that was that was a concern at the time. Uh, one one big hit was Bam Adebayo. He's been a top twenty-five guy. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I think kind of in the Sabonis category where it was you know he showed flashes of this last year. I don't think anyone is like floored by what he's doing. I mean, I think. I wouldn't have picked him as an all-star, certainly. I, I kind of thought he was maybe right. a, another year or two away from that. But, I mean, he's made arguably as big a leap as anybody. He'll be in the conversation um, when, it, when it comes to most improved player. I did not have Brandon Ingram on the list, which I, I feel like is a pretty big omission. Well, as far as Agobio goes, I wasn't anticipating him averaging five assists a game. You know, I knew he was a solid passer, but five assists is a lot for, for you know, like a non-Jokic, Sabonis-type big man, especially when the you know the heat have Dragic there they have jimmy butler there um and but yeah i mean the ingram well the ingram thing i mean the ingram thing was tough um you know he he had kind of just been making very slow steady improvements and i think it was fair to assume he would just kind of continue making slow steady improvements um or flatline and i think at the time of writing this i mean there was still kind of some concern on you know, he had the thoracic outlet syndrome. People, mm-hmm. like, right when that Anthony Davis trade happened, you know, you listen to podcasts or you read stuff and people be like, well, who even knows if this is a good trade for the Pelicans because Brandon Ingram's career might not even exist, yeah. you know? he's And so um, I don't think it was a, not like a massive oversight not to have him considering the narrative around him at the time. Okay, sure. Thank you for saying that. Of I course. appreciate it. Uh, a couple more pretty big misses at the end. DeJounte Murray, and that situation has just been frustrating all year. Derek White was in my honorable mention section. Those two are, are kind of lumped together. Luke Kennard, uh, I mean, he played well before the injury, but still probably not a breakout. Thomas Bryant, 
Um, yeah. Again, another guy who played well before injury and now is averaging like 16 minutes a game. Right. Just a bizarre situation. Uh, I did have Tyler Hero on my honorable mention, but granted, I wrote this like two days after Summer League, so his stock was like, <laughs> as high as it's ever been. Uh, Zaire Smith, for some reason, was on the <laughs> list. I, I don't even think I've heard like one peep about him the entire year, so I, maybe he's tearing up the G League for all we know, uh, but he is not broken out by any means. Thibault, like, ending his career. And Korkmaz. Thibault and Korkmaz turning out to be actual yeah. guys who would play 20 minutes on a variety of teams. Yeah, the Korkman has actually been really good for them. Yeah. And even Shake Milton. Shake Milton hasn't great. even gotten a shot. That's what's really d- disturbing about this whole thing. Yeah. Okay, bust. The list is quite a bit shorter for the potential bust. Uh, I also listed Lonzo Ball in this article. That was <laughs> that's not wrong. That's not wrong. I think having yeah. him on the bust or breakout. Yeah, I covered both sides. Like he was, it was either going to go really bad or really or really well, and it's gone. It's gone pretty well. I didn't think there was going to be much of an in between. This is like uh, going to the roulette and just betting red and black and just yeah. sitting there. Exactly. Like, well. That's exactly what I. That's basically what I try to do anytime <laughs> I write an article. Is like, how can I upset the fewest number of people? Uh, I feel pretty good about the first name I listed here. And it was kind of low-hanging fruit, especially at the time. Uh, but Victor Oladipo. Yeah. Uh, at the time uh, that I wrote this, which again was October 8th, so a couple weeks before the year, he had a composite ADP of 82nd. So it, it wasn't like people were grabbing him in like the fourth round. But I remember crazy. thinking, like, that's too high. Like, think about the—and I, I even wrote here, like, he'll probably be back December 1st. Ended up coming back way later than that. And even even with the expectation that he was back on December 1st, I was really, really skeptical. Um, and he's been probably even worse than I thought he'd be. Yeah. I uh, I feel like I wrote something similar, or at least I got into a back and forth with Shannon about it on one of the podcasts. Yeah. Where I'm like, nobody has ever said, like, you can come back in a year from a torn quad and be the same player, like, right. immediately. And I've never said that. People... <laughs> I never catch me saying that. Um, yeah, and yeah, the composite ADP of eighty two is crazy. I mean, he there was a chance he was only going to be a top 50, 60 player even when healthy. Right. I think that was the upside, and then you're basically missing twenty or thirty games from him. You're banking him if he if he's a top sixty player, it probably means he's playing thirty minutes, which he wasn't going to do. He could go on all day. The writing was already on the wall too. He had lost like five points per game from 2018 to, to last season, and like everything was down. Percentages were way down. Like he, was, he it already looked like he maybe just had this not fluky 2017 18, but like probably not going to re- replicate that season again at any point in his career. And then on top of that, like yes, you lose Bogdanovich, you, lo- you lose Thaddeus Young, um, a, a couple other pieces. I'm sure I'm forgetting, but they basically replaced those guys with like all guards, you know, so you bring in Malcolm yeah. Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, like all pretty high usage guys. And it made sense early on and worked out really well early on without him. But it was kind of just like, well, he'll just come back and, you know, he'll be the number one guy and it'll all be fine, which again, has not been the case. And I think his health is the biggest factor right now. But um, yeah, I think, I think some people just kind of forgot, you know, the amount of other playmakers that are on this team. Like he was never going to come back and just be a 25 point per game guy right away. No, and then in the in that twenty seventeen eighteen season when he broke out, he was the tenth best fantasy player. That was a large part because of his uh, his his defense. Yes, um, almost entirely. Two point three steals a game, and then the next season he dropped to fiftieth. One point so, seven steals. Right. So he was basically it was yeah crazy that he was only being drafted thirty spots below that, despite having a, a extremely serious injury. Yeah, yeah, that one that one never made sense to me. DeAndre Jordan was on my list. Uh, not a, again another guy that wasn't going like in the second round by any means right um he's been kind of like borderline rosterable all year just outside the top 120 maybe not a huge bust based on expectations but i i just never saw him as somebody who was going to exceed his draft slot 
Right. He was he was one of those guys I was like really comfortable taking at pick 100 or like 120 because I figure, you know, he last year he was ranked 59th and he only played 30 minutes a game. And so mm-hmm. I figure he drops off maybe five minutes, what's time with Jared Allen. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a that was a good call in general. Paul Millsap on the list, not exactly a bust. His ADP at the time was 99th. And right now he is 103rd in terms of average value. So not a guy who's exceeded his draft slot, but also not a guy who's been terrible. I, I thought he would be quite a bit worse than this. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the main thing that I would have been concerned about, and I don't know if you wrote it, just injury history, recent injury history, not great. And he's yeah. only he's only played 40 games this season. And so if you change that to total value, then he hasn't been. Yeah, he hasn't been great. I think my main concern was the Jeremy Grant trade had happened pretty recently and michael and, porter jr yeah i mean porter jr i, I didn't even mention in here I, like to me at that point he was still you know we didn't really know what was up with him like yeah. injury wise you know he i think if i wrote this in early october he had probably he was supposed to play in like that first preseason game and then didn't and it just seemed like we were going to be on that roller coaster all year but i mean they've ended up splitting minutes pretty evenly with him and jeremy grant which which has been a surprise i, I kind of thought grant would would end up it would end up being like a 70 30 split at some point uh blake griffin on the list i mean that he, he's the guy i made the injury case for where it just yeah. never i mean prior to last season he had missed 24 21 47 and 15 games respectively and it just they ran him so hard last year he played 75 games his body obviously broke down at the end of the year and i, I mean i don't want to say i like called this injury i think a lot of people probably did but it just it always seemed like it was going to end this way yeah and he didn't even he I, I don't know if he was playing hurt basically all of this year because he was not good when he was when he played. I this think series. he was because I mean he missed the first couple of weeks, right? Yeah, and he was outside. I mean, a per game basis, he even cracked like the top two hundred yeah, this year. Not so, good. not good. Jeremy Lamb also on my list. I, I mean, his ADP at the time was eighty six, which I, was shockingly high. I mean, he did play really well. Uh, had kind of a mini breakout for like a terrible Charlotte team last right. year and. I just never really understood the appeal with him, and the injury kind of ended things for him. Um, but he was one twelve in terms of per game value before the injury. Yeah, I wasn't opposed to to grabbing him there. I think a lot of that probably had to do with first of all Oladipo concerns, or figuring that okay, if I draft him eighty, I'm going to get top sixty value until Oladipo comes back. Then I'll probably bump down to like one twenty, and maybe I can drop him, stream some other guys in, and probably some concerns from a lot of people that maybe Malcolm Brogdon is just a low usage player and that they won't use him in the way that yeah you know he won't be this he won't be the real you know driver of the offense um that turned out to be the case that he was that guy and Lamb's had a passable season but yeah drafting him 80 was a little mm-hmm. yeah, there were higher upside guys that you probably could have reached for at that spot last name on the list I shouldn't have doubted him LaMarcus Aldridge I believe he was a third team all decade selection for us uh he's he's 44th this year so a little bit lower uh the last couple years he was inside the top 30 uh but before that 63rd before that 40th so kind of right in that same range that he's been the last four or five years so I I thought this was the year maybe he would drop off and it, it looks like we'll have to postpone that prediction for at least another season catch me never dropping or never drafting lamarcus aldridge ever again least exciting guy to own and yet i mean he's probably one of those guys that you you could probably have gotten at a a good value there are guys reaching for him i mean in fantasy there are always those guys who are basically ticking time bombs in terms of like if you draft them marcus all yes if you continue drafting them you're gonna get you're gonna get punished so hard one of those years conley's probably like that this year conley um you know griffin lamarcus aldridge 
um, Gasol, like you mentioned, there are just those guys who you can kind of feel it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would just prefer to grab, you know, guys in their early thirties or late twenties. Those are usually the safest guys, established stars. I prefer teams. to draft superstars in their prime. I, that's what I aim to do at with every pick. That's why we do this for a living. Yes. Nick. All right. A couple betting notes I want to get to before we sign off for tonight. Um, I want to, first of all, what's your what's your take on Giannis versus LeBron Dude, I'm sick for this. the MVP? Okay, absolutely. What I need to mention is that everyone and I I love Doris Burke as much as the next person, but <laughs> she is, she is the one who's responsible for this, and it's, I think it's really funny that everything you hear is the ESPN telecast is just pushing this narrative. It's Doris Burke who brought it up. All right, if it was Mark Jackson or Stan Van Gundy or Jeff Van Gundy, people would have been up in arms at them specifically. It was Doris Burke who everyone will respect at, at every turn, everything that she says. She's the one who's responsible for this. So I just want to point that out. I believe that there is probably a directive, whether it's from ESPN or the league, to just like conjure up some interest in the MVP. And I think the same could be said for Rookie of the Year because I don't know if it was Doris Burke, but somebody recently was making the case for, for Zion and like how it should be a runaway for Zion. Like The guy's played 16 games, man. There's no precedent for someone playing this few games and winning rookie of the year, his team is like 500 at best with him in the lineup. Like to me, the case is it's kind of open and shut that it's still Morant. But we'll get to that in a second. the The Vegas odds have shifted even more in favor of Giannis over the last couple of days. Even as you hear more and more, like, well, people want this narrative to be LeBron, and you know, is, is the narrative going to be enough to get it to him? Like Vegas is going the opposite way. Like it's now Giannis minus 2,000, mm-hmm. LeBron plus 1,000. So in other words, you could bet 10,000 dollars on Giannis to win, and you'd win 500 dollars. I, uh, I mean that's that's free money. I mean it is not it's free money. If you have ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, do it. I'm gonna take off work early, drive down to Dubuque, make it happen. Um, yeah, it's MVP is open and shut. So is Rookie of the Year. I mean the the only argument, the only potential argument of Rookie of the Year, Zion Pelicans get the eighth seed, blah blah blah. I just don't think it's just not as the the Pelicans are actually a good team without Zion I think they didn't play amazing but they have enough talent to be and that's the same argument against LeBron is you know I understand the on off numbers with LeBron but they also have Anthony Davis I think I think the more interesting narrative to push would be Doncic over LeBron for second place that's the that's the narrative that has but that's more realistic than LeBron for MVP if you're going to make an MVP debate narrative it should be who's taking second and then you can do LeBron versus Doncic. I think, yeah. I mean, if the argument is, is the gap between one and two bigger than two and three, I agree. Yeah, that's what I mean. But I, I think LeBron is very solidly in second. I would be shocked if he, sure. I think it's Giannis by a, by a lot for first place. And I agree with that. I think it's LeBron by a lot for second place. And then Doncic, I think Doncic versus Harden for third, I think is maybe the, the more interesting discussion. I, I think like the gap in the standings, like the fact that the Lakers have just been this juggernaut all year and are going to win the West in the regular season as long as LeBron stays healthy, I just can't see him. Like, that's enough to get second. Not that he cares about that. Right. Um, but I, I think everybody, when when they talk about LeBron's chances, like, you have to couch it in. I think Giannis is the MVP. He is the MVP. Nobody is debating that at all. And I really don't think it's close. Like, LeBron doesn't get points for, you know, the Kobe thing. Every, every box that you would want to check, ultimately, unless you're looking at, like, three-point percentage, you know, goes in favor of Giannis. Like every right. statistical category, the team is better. It'd be one thing if the Bucks were five games worse than the Lakers and Giannis was putting up better numbers, but he has the team context and the individual context. Like I, there's no precedent for that guy not winning. He's getting punished a little bit for the Bucks being good without him. And which is crazy because 
you ta- taking a if if the Bucks are going to have Giannis, they would be they could still make the playoffs. They could be in that like Nets tier. Sure. And so you're punishing Giannis for if you placed Giannis on the Nets and the Nets became a 70 win team, people don't think that's as valuable as placing LeBron yeah. on a non playoff team and it going to 60 wins, how it or 55 wins or whatever it is. I don't hate that argument, I guess, because I do. The Lakers might not make the playoffs without LeBron, but it hit the whole narrative all summer was this guy basically traded away his entire team to get anthony davis and then you right. you can't say after you you land another top five player in the league you really can't cry about your roster yeah i don't think that argument's going to hold up for a lot of people um i heard on a podcast the other day that people were wondering if lebron's comments on china would ultimately impact his like how people won't vote for him because of that like i forgot about that that was so long ago it was on against all odds I was oh like, wow man. i completely forgot that that happened that's i don't think that's going to be a factor no it's not no I, I i think it's an easy win for Giannis. I, I i think this is open and shut i think betting on anyone but Giannis is really dumb i'm just imagining like a zach Lowe front page espn why i'm not voting for lebron colon china yeah. comments i mean if the mvp vote took place the day after he made those comments maybe that was so <laughs> i don't even remember what he said that was so long ago at this point um rookie of the year odds have also shifted even more in favor of morant you can get zion at plus 300 which is okay value but then when you consider morant's at minus 670 i mean he's still a huge favorite i would just rather take the i would just rather bet the pelicans to make the playoffs even though that's minus money at this point but yeah well i think you can get them at plus right i thought i mean last time i checked if you wanted to bet the pelicans to make the playoffs it was actually minus money DraftKings sportsbook has it yes at plus 162 okay but Memphis is yes ago. at plus 180. So okay. the Pelicans have a better chance than Memphis, but it's you can bet you can bet this for New Orleans, Memphis, Portland, or Sacramento, and it's all plus odds. Hmm. Sacramento's plus 700. I don't hate that. They're closer That's than intriguing. New Orleans. Again, they are three and a half games back. If you don't think Memphis is going to make it, Portland's only plus 300. They're tied to Sacramento right now. Like that, I'm not saying I think the Kings will make it, but throwing 100 bucks and you know with a chance to win 700 on the kings just making the playoffs and getting swept isn't the worst bet uh, it's probably better than either of these two bets because i mean moran at 670 there's a little value like would i put you know do i want to put 700 dollars down to win 100 not really but would i feel yeah. pretty good about it i'd be i'd be more likely to do that than putting two thousand dollars down on, on Giannis. so the comparison that we have for this situation is of course the Embiid year where he came back and was right. clearly the best rookie wasn't as good as, as zion but was clearly the best rookie the problem was the guy who won it in malcolm brogdon averaged 10 points was four assists and three rebounds way worse than moran way worse significantly worse on on a team that you know, that 16-17 Bucks team was 42-40. and 40. They were six in the East. You know, they were, they were a good, like, I think that was yeah. kind of the first year that they made that leap. Right. But it wasn't like Malcolm Brogdon is leading this team to the playoffs. <laughs> like, there was, there was no narrative at all. And, like, and Brogdon still won it pretty easily. Yeah, he did. You know, like, Morant has just been so much better on a team that has a much better narrative. He's been the guy. He has the highlight plays. He's averaging, you know, 18 points, seven assists. He's playing, like, the best basketball of his season right now as Zion's also playing well. Like, it just doesn't add up. Like I, I get that people want to make it a race, but it, it historical precedent and just the way that the season has gone says it's it's going to be Moran. Yeah, Moran uh, is kind of pl- is a uh, he's I, I don't know if be, he's playing our curve that uh, he's playing the harder position to be good at at yes. the NBA level. I don't know if people are giving him credit for that. I've heard some people say that, but it's much harder I think to do what Moran is doing 
than what Zion is doing. He's also helping sense. Josh Jackson get back in the league. I think I mean, he that's... deserves like you know for stewarding that maybe like a humanitarian vote. Right. Uh, he's without Jaron Jackson for a long stretch. He's you know arguably they're like fourth best player. Brandon Clark is going to miss a bunch of time. Like it's just. It, it, I don't know. If Zion played 50 games, I'd, I'd be willing to debate it, but he's just not going to play enough games. One other bet I like, and I've been on this all year, but the odds just kind of continue to get better. Clippers to win the title at plus 325 is fantastic, I think. I mean, for a team that at full strength is yet to lose, right, has, in my opinion, the number one guy that you would want in the playoffs. No offense to LeBron or Giannis, but I, would, I want Kawhi. And we're still yet to see Paul George play like two good games in a row. And it, it feels like that's going to come at some point. He's finally healthy. Um, and even if Paul George is only at like 80%, like I, Kawhi is good enough to drag that team through the first couple of rounds. And you, you're going to need Paul George to beat the Lakers. You're going to need Paul George to beat the Bucks. But I, I would, for plus 325, I would, I'd be willing to take that chance. Yes. Lineups with both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard plus nine which is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they also have a the um basically the two potential closing lineups they have. So Beverly, George, Leonard, Marcus Morris, Zubac is plus 17 in 155 possessions. Beverly, Lou Williams, Paul George, Leonard, Montres Harrell is plus 22 in 104 possessions. Yeah. So they've they've had some really good line. I mean I agree with you. I mean you're basically getting there are more or less three favorite. I mean, it's the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers. Those are the teams that people are taking very seriously. Yep. And so the fact that you can get the Clippers, who uh, I think a lot of people would view all of those teams on an even playing field. Yes. And most people, I think, would put the Bucks actually at the bottom of that list. I think the reason that they're part of the reason they're number one, aside from having the best record, is just the path. Like, you know, the Lakers and Clippers have to play each other right. to get there. Only one of them can get there. Whereas I think Milwaukee, even with the East being better, has the far easier path to the finals. Right. But I, I agree with you. I mean, you're getting one of those teams at three to one. Yeah. Seems like a good deal. I mean, there are also some other teams like I, I meant to bring this up earlier in the podcast. But, you know, if you're talking about potential teams to, you know, maybe an upset. I mean, there are there are only six teams in the NBA that have a non-negative point differential against top 10 point differential teams this season. Boston leads the league significantly plus six point two. Then it drops to Houston at plus 1.8, Milwaukee plus 1.7, Lakers plus 1.1, Clippers plus 0.8, Denver mm-hmm. exactly neutral. So, the, I mean, there are only, what, six teams to bet on. I'd be interested in maybe Houston. I think that's yep. an intriguing bet as well. If I was going to bet on anyone from the if I was going to bet on anyone from the West, I think at this point, I'm with you. I think the best value is probably the Clippers. The next best value might be just banking on Houston continuing the small ball thing and it actually panning out um in in this yeah. case and if, if for some reason you don't like milwaukee if you're if you're not a believer in them making it through the east like there's a ton of value boston plus 600 toronto plus 750 miami plus 850 miami's beat milwaukee twice like that's just to get to the finals not not win the finals i i mean it, going back to what you said with those three teams like the lakers clippers and bucks to me are pretty equal if you just said to me who's winning the finals right now, I would say the Clippers, and then to be able to get them at better than three to one, I, I think is great. And if you trust Paul George to be healthy for sure, I just don't. One, I don't trust the Lakers. That's the big thing. I okay. just I, I've watched almost every Lakers game this year, and as good as they've looked at times, they, you know, and this is something that I think Bill Simmons has said: is like, do they have another gear in the playoffs? I don't think they do. I think the Clippers do. I think the Bucks probably do. I, I just think when push comes to shove, um, if like, and when Anthony Davis has one or two games where he's not giving you 30 and 15 in the playoffs it's going to be extremely hard for them to win you're going to be depending on yes. 
a lot from Avery Bradley. You're going to need Contavious Caldwell-Pope to continuously hit big shots and big moments. And like they're just depending on guys whose track record does not add up. AD is amazing. He's one of the best two-way players in the league. Could easily win Defensive Player of the Year. Could come up top five in MVP voting. Yep. But he is not... He's not the he's not like a secondary gold get a bucket guy that you really trust. Do you really trust Anthony Davis to get you a bucket with ten seconds left on the shot clock? If he's playing like he did, did you watch the Sixers game the other day? No, My, that was the best I've ever seen him play. And granted, the Sixers were overmatched, you know, no Embiid, but like that was he went like his second quarter was maybe the best single quarter I've ever, I've seen if any player this year. Like sure. ridiculously dominant, extremely confident, beating him in every way. But you don't see that every night. And with just being, it's not like his fault, really. Just being that big, it's tough to be a bucket getter. It's like in that in the Mavs Pelicans game last night, Porzingis had the ball with 10, 10 seconds left, tie game, couldn't get by his man, ends up taking no. a basically behind the backboard fadeaway jumper. And when you're that big, it's just hard to go get a bucket. Like you said, you, you, right. you just can't when you're seven feet. And I think he's, he's basically just like an, an unbelievable superstar Hall of Fame role player. You know, like yeah. he's a lot of his points are just like tip ins, second chance points, dunks, rolls, you know, like, and he's unbelievable at it. But at the end of the day, like he's and this has been borne out, like when LeBron's off the court, they've had a tough time being like, all right, AD, go keep us afloat or not even keep us afloat. Like, go. We want to be plus eight in the six minutes without LeBron here. And he just hasn't been able to do that. Right. Like, I don't I don't know. I, I never feel he can he can get into some post up matchups where I feel like he. And I, I take this issue with a lot of post-up players. I feel like they don't properly take advantage of what's happening. I have this issue insane with Giannis. Yes. Whose jump hook is unbelievably bad. Abhorrent. For someone who is can get within basically just a foot outside of the restricted area and do a hook shot, the amount that they just clank off the front of the rim or just are completely off is obscene. Mm-hmm. And I think Anthony Davis is another guy who... I think he just needs to take advantage. Like, he's huge. Like, I know he's he's thin, like he's skinny, but he's also he's huge a lot, shoulders. He's a lot less skinny than he used to be, that's for sure. I mean, he's right. bulked up. I think he, he definitely settles too much for those fadeaways, similar to LeBron, yep. um, to where, like, yeah, I mean, running pick and rolls, pick and pops, he's a pretty good mid-range shooter. But I, again, this is another situation where if the Lakers are going to beat you somehow, chugging off LeBron and trying to make Anthony mm-hmm. Davis shoot 17 footers all game, if that's how you lose a seven-game series because Anthony Davis got hot from 18 feet or whatever, yeah, I think most teams are just going to concede that. I would prefer that he get hot from like one foot. Right. You know, I would love to see. I'd love to see just like a bully ball, Anthony Davis, and like well, I, that's I think what he should be doing. He's, yeah, he's more egregious than Giannis would. Just like I don't think I don't want to call him soft, but just not taking advantage of size match. Giannis will at least like be physical and like pound his way in, but I, I think sometimes he kind of gets he'll bring the ball down and get a little out of control and kind of lose track of like where he is. Whereas Davis, like, just, you know, unless he has a matchup that he knows he can win, like, he's he's very hesitant to go one-on-one with guys who can match him, you know, in terms of physicality or exceed him in physicality. Last thing, um, best bet for tonight. I have not looked at yours yet. Oh. So you, you published that piece uh, right before we got in the studio here. Uh, what is your best bet of, of the entire slate tonight? Uh, I want to check the exact number, but it is Jamal Murray, 20-plus um, points, plus Denver to beat Charlotte at plus 146. Uh, you can also... That's in Charlotte. In Charlotte. Um, you can also, if you... if You you can get better odds if you go, I guess, however you want to phrase it. If you want to go Jamal Murray, 25-plus points Denver to win, you could get plus 370, mm-hmm. which I think is also nice. Um, my main argument was like, 
one thing that shocked me was since the All-Star break, I think the Hornets allow the second fewest points per game to opponents, just straight up points per game. Um, yeah, they're playing at the slowest pace in the league by far. Right. But they, they're allowing the ninth lowest effective field goal percentage to opponents since the All-Star break, which is a great number. Uh, but I checked cleaning the glass and their shot profile, like their defensive shot profile is horrible. Like, I think they're just getting lucky with teams missing shots against them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, they're allowing the fourth most shots at the rim. They're allowing the sixth most corner threes since the All-Star break. And Jamal Murray is someone who is in uh, the 81st percentile for combo guards at the rim in terms of accuracy. He hits 42% of his corner threes, and obviously the Hornets just suck in general. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good opportunity. He also averages 19.7, 19.3 points per game and wins. So I think this is a good opportunity to basically just Jamal Murray has a good game. The Nuggets win. You're getting more than even money. Okay. And I went Raptors minus seven and a half at Golden State. That I saw it get pushed up to, sorry, eight and a half when I was, we got the TV in here. So it's it's up a little bit now. You got good really? value at seven and a half. Yeah. So I saw seven and a half. I, I looked at on uh, odds.rotowire.com. Okay. Um, really fantastic website. Just has it all. Uh, the line was at Raptors minus eight this morning and then went back down to seven and a half. And now it's back up to eight and a half. I think my guess is that's in response to the confirmation of a minutes limit for Curry. He's at he's limited to twenty five minutes tonight. I, I saw that just before we we started recording. So yeah, because um, Van Vliet and Ibaka are still questionable yes. for now. I don't even think that matters. Like the Warriors are not no, good. <laughs> Stephen Curry coming off of a fifty eight game absence, I don't, I don't <laughs> think is really going to affect things. Like they're starting, they've dipped like far below. Yeah, I, I feel like I know most guys who come up from the G League. Like, oh yeah, he played at wherever Hartford, or you just hear the names. Like, oh, he scored fifty five summer league Campbell or whatever. Yeah, like you just hear these guys. Like they're bringing guys in that I've never heard. Juan Toscano Anderson, yeah, Michael Mulder. Mulder. Like these guys are out of out of control. No names, and I mean Curry's going to come back. I'm sure he'll be fine in his twenty five minutes, but that leaves more than half of a game where you're basically playing the Santa Cruz Warriors against the second best team in the Eastern Conference. I, I think seven and a half is way too low. Yeah, the Raptors are, they're one of the best, like, against the spread teams all year. Yeah, so I think, I think trip for them, but I, I still feel pretty good about it, even with those those injuries. Right. All right, we're getting kicked out of here. we got video guys coming in, but you'll be back on, on Friday with Shannon and Ken. Yep.